This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We intend to talk about some of the things we said we would talk about on last week's program, on this week's program, because we're great believers in continuity, even though sometimes we don't get to things as quickly as we'd like. So doggone it, we're going to do a little bit of medicine at some point, and also quote from that essay from Harper's titled, Wrong Answer, The Case Against Algebra 2. Let's make an exception to how we normally like to start the program, which of course is with On This Date in History, and instead talk about some both good and important news about this very station. To talk about how KDVS has a new tower and has its power boosted, we'll go to uh, one, of our, one of our favorite pals here, Jeff Hudson, who wrote an article about this in the Davis Enterprise and uh, covers, as far as we can see, everything under the sun. Now, welcome back to Radio Parallax, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be back, and of course you should also know that I'm a KDVS host uh, several Sundays a month on the uh, 8 a.m. to 10 AM Sunday morning gospel show with uh, Bernard Benson. I go by Hibachi on the air. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. I do want to say that I heard the two of you talking about Martin Luther King's uh, uh, 50-year anniversary of his of his epic speech and uh, and playing part of that. And that was just that was just some good work, gentlemen. We en- we enjoyed the opportunity to share that speech. Leave it to KDVS to take the time to put that out in the airwaves. I, I, I'm, I'm a great fan of what we do and what, what you guys do and what you do. And, it and, and more than just a soundbite, we played a nice long chunk of it. Exactly. And, and now people will hopefully be able to hear such good works that, that we try to do uh, in, in a larger area. Well, I've actually been mentioning that every time I've gone on the air. I'm, I'm kind of telling people, you may be hearing this signal for the first time because we went from a 9,200-watt signal to a 13,000-watt signal. And then the new tower, uh, and, and keep in mind, KDVS is renting a position on that tower. This uh-huh. is not a tower that KDVS owns. Uh, but the, the new position of the transmitter is about almost 100 feet higher than the old one. Yeah. And if you know FM technology, uh, power is important, but placement is also important. And so having your transmitter higher up in the air means it's going to go out further. Yes, indeed. There was published a photo in the, the Enterprise in conjunction with your article showing how, uh, how well, you can. E- we should be able to be heard out past Yuba City now on the outskirts of, of Lodi, uh, knocking on the door of even Vallejo mm-hmm. and Napa. And, and from what the feedback we're getting at the station is people are indeed hearing us much more clearly in, in all these locations. Right. The, the, the old transmitter location was on the roof of a building on the UC Davis campus. The new transmitter location is out by the Yolo County landfill, you know, out by the dump. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little further out of town, and it's a little higher up, and it's got almost 50% more power than the old signal. So, yeah, uh, it, it's definitely reaching into uh, areas of Sacramento. I, I think the statistic is that there are approximately, approximately 1 million more potential listeners within the range of the signal than before. And that, you know, a million is a nice big number. That, that's just, that's outstanding. I know that uh, driving to work, hearing you and, and Bernard talking about uh, Martin Luther King, etc., I, I couldn't believe how much clearer it was, like in the Citrus Heights area. It was just, just, a, just a night and day difference. I, uh, I took a drive, oh, a little over a week ago uh, from my home in Davis up to Lake Tahoe. 
and I was able to pull in the KDVS signal. You know, it got a little choppy as I got up into the mountains, but, uh -huh. but I was getting the signal most of the time all the way up to Echo Summit, and and that was real impressive. Now, there there was a little period where I was going past Bradshaw on 50 there where, where it, it, you know, shut down for a little bit. I guess there's a low spot there. And there was an area up past Folsom where we were kind of going down into a river canyon, you know, after after uh, Placerville where it drops down into a canyon there where it got a little bit choppy for a while. But by and large, the, the signal is carrying way up into the foothills a, a whole lot better than it used to. I haven't uh, I haven't tried it going the other way yet. Next time I go down to see uh, family in the Bay Area, I'm going to have to test the reception uh, along uh, Interstate 80. But the people I know who make that trip tell me it's also quite a bit better in that direction. Well, I wanted to cite some of the people who deserve credit uh, for this effort. I mentioned this in passing some time back and was afraid to do it because I didn't want to leave people out. But uh, your article cites it looks like at least... Uh, um, uh, six people here who, who had a role to play in this. Todd Urich has been beating the drum for this since 2003. You mentioned Curtis Carroll, former GMs uh, Renner Burkle and Neil Rudd, and uh, current uh, GM Cameron Cairns, as well as Justin Cable, who managed the, the project. And uh, it, It's a project that, that you know, uh, went on over a period of years, and our general managers, as you know, generally served for about a year. Mm -hmm. and, and so there, there have been quite a few people who had important roles in this. And uh, it also has a, uh, a financial impact on the sta station. Uh, on, on the one hand, there are increased expenses uh, that, that are associated with the rent on the uh, new tower. You know, we've got a position on that tower, and, and there is a, a rent that goes with that. But on the other hand, there's the potential for uh, new listeners and new pledges from other areas that uh, further out that hadn't been able to hear the station before. And I should put in a word right now, anybody who's interested in pledging, I believe the <laughs> web page is open all year long, fundraiser.kdvs.org. And, and if you're hearing this and you want to help out with all of this, you can go in there on the Internet and make a pledge right now. You're just one step ahead of me. Outstanding, Jeff. Well, we'll keep up the good work. Is there anything you don't cover? I'm interested <laughs> in an awful lot of things, but education is one of the things that uh, I do, and I'm, I'm tracking a State Board of Education meeting today as they talk about the local control funding formula. Thank you for taking your time for monitoring that to talk to us. Uh, it's Happy always a pleasure, so. Jeff. Okay. All righty. Thanks. All right. The entire article can be found at www.davisenterprise.com. All right, let's head back to On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 12th of September. It was on September 12th in 1683 when Habsburg forces, led by John III Sobieski, break the siege of Vienna severely damaging Turkish influence in Eastern Europe. I believe that it was after the siege of Vienna that the local populace discovered some beans that had been left behind by the invaders. In this case, coffee beans, which the Viennese took to, as did the rest of Europe. Apparently in their celebration over the Turkish victory, uh, the local Viennese also created the croissant. So I guess that makes this one day in history to contemplate over coffee and pastry in the morning. On September 12th, in 1912, plans were announced for America's first transcontinental highway to be called the Lincoln Highway, eventually better known as Route 66. What's hard to imagine is that was just 101 years ago. And I guess that's a hint to what our bumper music will be for this segment. For those too young to remember, there once was a television program titled Route 66, and it had a pretty good theme. And it was on September 12th in 1940 in France 
when four teenagers following their dog into a cave tunnel discovered the Lascaux cave paintings. The 15,000 to 17,000 year old paintings, consisting mostly of animal representations, are among the finest examples of art from the upper Paleolithic period. I don't know, Mr. Millen, aren't, aren't these uh, fine examples of art from any period, including the one of modern art? And on this date, September 12th, 1947, here in the U.S., the Screen Actors Guild adopted a voluntary loyalty oath in which members must swear they don't belong to the Communist Party. Presumably so they would not undermine American entertainment by producing shoddy crap. Mr. Millen points out this is an extremely effective strategy because no one who was a spy would ever dare lie about it under oath. And speaking of communism, our quote of the day comes from Will Rogers, who once said, Communism is like prohibition. It's a good idea, but it won't work. Our quip of the day comes from British poet Robert Graves, who once said, There's no money in poetry, but then there's no poetry in money either. All right, our jokes of the day start with one from Jay Leno a week ago. The state attorney general of New York is suing Donald Trump for $40 million, claiming that Donald Trump University is not a real university. The state claims it's not a real college because students get very little education and were unable to find jobs after they graduated. Sounds like a real college to me. And his former pal David Letterman had a pretty good one last week, saying, they're saying now that the war against Syria will last no more than two days. It's going to be a two-day war, huh? You know what that means. We'll be there another 10 years. Actually, let's go back to Leno for this one. Walmart will soon begin offering benefits for their employees' same-sex partners. Hey, how about that? Finally, a company looking out for the interests of gay and lesbian Chinese factory workers. Yeah, let's go back to Letterman. There's trouble at Charlie Sheen's birthday party. John Kerry says there's evidence of illegal chemical use, and they have to go in there. And finally, said John Stewart upon returning to The Daily Show after being away for this summer, Wow, America's taking military action against a Middle East regime? It's like I never left. Our stats of the day are as follows. Apparently the highest paid person on television is Judge Judy, who earns $47 million a year holding fake court on her daytime TV show. Second on the list, the aforementioned John Stewart, who reportedly earns between 25 and 30 million a year presenting The Daily Show. Wow, there's apparently money in comedy? <laughs> All right, our second stat according to the Harper's Index this month, the chance that a US firearm dealer depends on trafficking to Mexico for its economic existence is apparently 1 in 2. Gee, I just can't figure out why Mexico's managed to lose 50,000 people in their drug wars in the last few years. Hmm. Well, I guess it's a fair trade. We get drugs from Mexico, and Mexico gets guns from America. It's working out real well. All right, also from the Harper's Index, we have this. The percentage of all luxury good consumers in 1995 who were Chinese was 2%. Today, 25%. And I guess that explains this. Depressing statistic announced last July, which was that Hong Kong customs officials seized 2,000 kilograms of elephant tusks worth $2.2 million. The haul, which was uncovered on a ship bound for China from Togo, is the largest since 2010. 
Most of the tusks came from baby elephants, said officials. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Croatians, who reportedly have more sex and more partners than any other nationality, according to a men's health survey of more than 50,000 people in 30 countries. Who's having the least sex? Well, according to the survey, Indians, less than once a week. It was, on the other hand, a bad week, perhaps, for uh, herpetology, with the news that a British aquarium used acupuncture to alleviate one of their alligators' chronic back pain. Biologist Rafael Gutierrez said the treatment worked wonders on the eight-year-old reptile, which can now swish its tail again. And it was perhaps an ugly week last week for treatment of animals with alternative medicine. With the news from the American Animal Hospital Association that the latest trend among pet owners anxious about the health of their animals is taking them to see a chiropractor. The week quoted San Diego yoga instructor Dee Hayes as having shared her chiropractor with her cocker spaniel for the last six years. She told the New York Times, and by God, we probably could have used this as our quote of the day, if it's good enough for us, why not for them? Veterinarians are warning there's no scientific proof that the practice is safe or effective for animals. Noted the American Animal Hospital Association, chiropractic methods potentially can cause injury through the use of inappropriate technique or excessive force. Boy, if someone from the veterinary school here at UC Davis wants to sign off on that, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We would like to hear from you. And speaking of responses from listeners, we got one last week from Mike regarding our discussion of the alleged best coffee in the world, which is made from beans which pass through the intestinal tract of a civet cat. Wrote to Mike, Hiya, Doug. Heard your piece on the civet cat coffee and thought I'd write in to say that I have indeed sampled the elusive poop coffee, or at least I'm pretty sure I have. A friend brought some back from a trip to London where he'd picked it up from a reputable shop. Don't know what he paid for it, but I think he bought about a quarter pound. It was probably the best coffee I've ever had. The only other coffee I've had that might have been its equal was true Jamaican Blue Mountain that I had back around 1980 when you could still get it in the U.S. at normal coffee prices. The Kopi Luwak was not a heavy hitter in the Pete's vein. It was light, perfectly balanced, and very complex. Of course, there was no way to know whether what I had was the real thing or not. But I drink a fair amount of coffee, and it was darn good, whatever it was. Mike, we thank you for that. If anyone else wants to sound off about Copy Luwak, you too can drop us a line at inforadioparallax.com. As we talk about this, Mr. McMillan is covetously eyeing my two cats, Pancho and Cisco. No, Mr. Millen, these are civet cats. They're, they're not actually felines. It won't work to put coffee beans through my kitties. And it was both a bad and ugly week last week for excuses. 
with the news that a Washington state man got arrested after he allegedly strapped a bag of marijuana to an arrow and tried to shoot it into a prison. He say David Wade Jordan tried to shoot the arrow into an exercise yard at the Watcorn County Jail, but he overshot the target with it landing on the roof. When Jordan was arrested, he claimed he'd been trying to hit a squirrel. Said Sheriff Bill Elfo, he had no explanation as to why the squirrel hunting required attaching marijuana to the arrow. <laughs> yeah, how'd that get there? And I can't resist one or two further comments about Donald Trump University. As we mentioned, the state of New York is suing Trump for his school, claiming it was a scam. In the lawsuit, it's noted that students at Trump University paid up to $35,000 to attend classes and to be mentored by instructors handpicked for Trump. But, says New York, the classes were merely sales pitches for more expensive classes and that Trump never chose a single teacher. Some students who were allegedly promised a meeting with Trump were instead (laughs) given the chance to pose next to a life-size cardboard cutout of the real estate tycoon. Of course, David Letterman couldn't resist adding that, you know, the New York officials got suspicious when they noted that the, uh, the dean of the business school was Bernie Madoff. And I think I'll uh, quote from a letter, not to us, but to the Sacramento Bee by Dan Bakker, who's been on this program more than once. Wrote Mr. Bakker, regarding wait to debate water bond and then improve it, the habitat restoration proposed under the Bay Delta Conservation Plan is designed to greenwash the construction of the peripheral tunnels. In reality, there is no conservation in the BDCP. The purpose of the $54 billion plan masquerading under the quote, co-equal goals, unquote, of water supply, reliability, and ecosystem restoration is to facilitate the export of more water to corporate agribusiness and oil companies seeking to expand fracking operations. The tunnel plan is based on the false premise that you can restore a river system by stealing more water from it. Mr. Bakker is, of course, entirely correct. The opinion that Dan Bakker is entirely correct on that is one that does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. To which we would add, in our opinion, despite that, Dan Bakker is right. And speaking of great scams involving water, the Bee last Friday had a, uh, a picture on the front page showing how crews will dig again to halt seeping water, noting that just six years after major repairs to Sacramento levees, they're apparently due for more work since... Well, they're not holding. We will talk about that in future programs. It's an oft-quoted fact that the Sacramento area is America's second most vulnerable to flood city after New Orleans. And an awful lot of this has to do with putting houses and development in floodplains that never should have been developed. I want to talk also about evil developers and evil development, but I want to defer that to later in the program. After taking a look at what Phil Angelides has planned for, for his infill development in the old Centraj site, well, all I can think of is what Hugo Chavez said to the UN, addressing it a day after George Bush took the dais, which was that the devil was here. I can still smell the sulfur. Let's take a moment to talk about some other weaselly uh, political chicanery. In this case, Daryl Steinberg's actions to promote the developers who want to build an arena in downtown Sacramento. 
There's a pretty good article in the B about this, but I want to quote from Nick Miller's piece from the Sacramento News and Review. Noted Miller, the proposed Kings Arena received an unusual but not unexpected Kevin Johnson-worthy assist from Daryl Steinberg this past week. California State Senator is posed to score with an 11th hour bill that would fast track the proposed downtown arena's environmental review and allow construction to begin even sooner. The pro tem's pitch would also help the city with its eminent domain proceedings against owners of the downtown Plaza Macy's property. This is shocking. Daryl Steinberg has been no stranger to uh, last minute bills to help out sports arenas. In 2011, he drove two bills to the Capitol during the final 48 hours of sessions, including one that specifically eased the environmental review of downtown L.A.'s proposed football stadium. Steinberg says this latest bill would disallow the King's Arena development from being bogged down by lawsuits. <laughs> no, we certainly wouldn't have lawsuits involved. I mean, let's just assume, you know, by definition, those would be wrong if they're going to stop an arena. He's quotes Tad Berg, a local political consultant, who said public dollars shouldn't be used to pay for this King's Arena. We called this aspect of the bill, the one speeding review, as a sham. Adding, it's amazing the legislature is creating a process where the construction moves ahead of the financing. Of course, another provision is that the city might engage in eminent domain proceedings against the owners of the Macy's property, the owners of the Macy's property, which is a New York-based real estate firm. Tad Berg called this part of the bill an absolute abuse of eminent domain. And Craig Powell with Watchdog with the Watchdog Group I in Sacramento says he was outraged by Steinberg's bill, which he referred to as a time bomb. Specifically, he worries that the arena will have traffic impacts on downtown. Well, that's a certainty, but that a judge would not give an injunction to stop work and address said issues. Said Powell, Caltrans will not foot the bill for new special uses such as an arena, he explained, adding the city could end up having to pay tens of millions of dollars for upgrades to freeway on-ramps and roadways. Miller concludes by noting that last March, when Steinberg and Mayor Johnson and the soon-to-be owners of the Kings presented a pitch to keep the team to the NBA Board of Governors in New York, the pro tem explained to the NBA how he could pass a bill to streamline arena developments. Miller adds, helping Steinberg hold good on his promise is local developer Mark Friedman, who leads the new arena development team and is lobbying lawmakers to pass the bill this week. The session ends today. We'll see. Oh, I've got so much more, but we need to take a break, so let's do that. I'm Douglas Abbott. You're listening to Radio Parallax. And did you find that theme for Route 66? (laughs) 